Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the hijinks. I've got a trig midterm tomorrow and I'm being chased by Guido, the killer pimp. The opportunities. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. And the wisdom. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Ah, Sean's out of town. I've got a movie date with the Vegas girlfriend. Can life get any better? Well, for one, you could have invited the Vegas girlfriend instead of me, Spearsy. Yes, I know, but she's up in Michigan. And who can resist a night with my longtime lust object, Christy McNichol? <laughs> now, if you'll just put on these glasses and talk with the sexy Midwest drawl. Okay. Oh, and could you call me your little pudding pop? That'd be great. And I'll call you my snuggly and sexy care bear. Aw, you say the sweetest things. Um, would it be creepy if I told you that I used to practice making out by kissing magazine photos of you? Not any creepier than pretending the Spears Lair is a movie theater and having your ex-wife work at your fake concession stand. Hi! Which only seems to serve meatballs and wild turkey. Or having Jeff in Cuba be the usher. All right, all right. What is going on in here? Shh, details, sweetie, details. The movie's about to start. What are we watching again? One of my 80s flicks? No. Maybe Little Darlings? No. How about the pirate movie? Are you naked in any of those? No. Pass, then. No, I've got something special planned for us. Red Dawn 5, Return of the Wolverines. Spearsy, I think it's time to give up being stuck in the 80s. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears with TampaBay.com. Today, the remakes and sequelization, i.e. the bastardization of our 80s classics. With me, I can think of no better person than to defend the honor of the 80s than Times film critic Steve Persall. I wasn't even born in the 80s. What are you talking about? You were born in the 40s. 50s. Let's give him 50s <laughs> okay. at least. Was that, was that Christy McNichol? At the start of the it show, it was. I always had the hots for her. Didn't you too? I, I really couldn't admit it at the time because I was of age and she wasn't. But you know what the heck? But what's really sad was that when I really had the hots for her, uh, she was of age and I was not. Ah, uh-huh. so um, it was nice to finally make those uh, prepubescent dreams come true. Yeah, little darlings. That was that was a, that was a good little movie. I couldn't tell which one I'd want to uh, win the bet with: Christy McNichol or Tatum O'Neill. I'm there, not sure. There really are no losers in that situation. No, 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 no losers. No, exactly. So uh, today we're going to talk about something that's very dear to my heart, um, 80s movies, and it's something that's very scary to me, the fact that they're all being uh, tapped for remakes or sequels. Well, you know, it makes sense because, I mean, the popularity of your show is one piece of evidence about the fact that the 80s generation, the ones who grew up during that, that era, they're the ones now with the most disposable income. You know, they're the ones who would uh, who would buy the DVDs, if not go out to the theaters. Certainly, most of the uh, tickets are being purchased by people who are, say, you know, age fifteen to twenty five nowadays. But when it comes time to you know buying a soundtrack uh, uh, that's uh, that's done again, or buying the DVD later on, or going out there that first weekend and supporting an old movie that was a favorite, the eighties generation is the uh, is the driver of that right now. I guess it all kind of starts it really almost in, you know, you start with um, when you're growing up in the 80s and you 
you know, you see Star Wars and then you see suddenly The Empire Strikes Back and then suddenly The Return of the Jedi. I mean, we all saw those movies if for no other reason than because because it was a sequel and because you had to go see it. Right. I mean, I, I grew up in the 70s. I mean, that, those were my formative years, but you're not going to see many people wanting to remake Five Easy Pieces or The Last Picture Show you know, or some of those kinds of movies. I mean, uh, Jaws came in the middle of the decade. Certainly Star Wars kicked off the, the blockbuster aspect uh, and the special effects aspect in the, in the late, latter part of the decade. Uh, so, you know, I was, at the, I was at the sort of the tail or the, the front end of that. Um, so it's, it's, it's a different kind of feel, a different kind of vibe. I, I sense that there's a lot of desperation, too, on Hollywood's part that, that either they've run out of good ideas for new original stuff or – Hollywood's become so um, expensive to maintain that they've got to go for what seem to be these you know, sure things. Well, if you're going to be pouring, well, let's say low-end $50 million, high-end $100, $125 million into a movie to make it, to promote it, and everything else, you want to have something that's going to be as sure a bet as you can make it. Sometimes it comes with casting. Sometimes it comes with the theme of a story. But a lot of times, and more and more often, it comes with the simple title you know, of something like a Footloose that has a built-in audience already yeah. or fame or any of these kinds of things that we're going to be talking about here. Right. Well, let's start with one of the obvious ones, and I know this one's already, I think, in production. Footloose mm -hmm. is being redone, but this time we're seeing a movie version of the musical that was based on the original Kevin Bacon movie. Jump back. That's true. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure if you can... Well, certainly it's a remake, but at least it's had that second little generation there of, of developing into a musical, taking the songs and adding some to it also. So it's going to come out to be, I, I think, a, a, a different kind of animal than the original one was. That is the smartest way, I think, to do a remake. Certainly they did it with the producers. Uh, Mel Brooks's situation uh, a couple of years ago. The movie wasn't as successful as the first one artistically or the Broadway play you know, financially. But still, I, I think if you the more distance you can get from the original rather than just doing a rehash of it in the same kind of fashion, the better off you are. Why do you think, I mean, you bring up the producers. Why do you, why do you think that the movie version failed to capitalize on either the stage version success or the movie or the original movie success? I think the biggest problem was you had the uh, director of the Broadway musical, Susan Stroman, directing the movie. She'd never directed a movie before. And if you look at that movie, it looks like a play up on the screen. Very static set shots. Uh, they don't really do too much to open it up, to take it outside into the streets that much. A couple of scenes that went to Central Park and stuff, but um, um, it really looked stage-bound. And I think that's the worst thing that you can do when you're converting a stage play to the movies is let people see in every scene that, yes, this used to be on the stage. Let me talk about another one. This was actually a musical, uh, 1980, I believe. Fame mm -hmm. is now slated to be redone. I could see that happening. Because uh, I, I don't think Fame was a very good movie to start with. I mean, it, it's a good movie. It's an entertaining movie. But basically, it was taking that idea that was coming out at that time of movies being built on soundtracks. And it sort of built a movie around a soundtrack rather than sticking in songs that could sell and sort of amplify the action like a Top Gun, per se, uh, let's yeah, say. Yeah. This one took the songs first, or at least very early in the, in the creative process, built the characters, built the situations around them, and then you had these really, in some cases, very dazzling musical numbers and, and dance numbers that came with them, too. So it, it, it started with, it started on the record, so to speak, and, yeah. then, and then went into, went into a movie, became a movie. That's Here's a movie now that's uh, been rumored to be remade soon, and under no circumstances could it ever be confused 
with a movie that was based on a soundtrack. And I give you Meatballs. Attention, here's an update on tonight's dinner. It was veal. I repeat, veal. The winner of tonight's Mystery Meat Contest is Jeffrey Corbin, who guessed some kind of beef. Congratulations, Jeffrey. You just won a brand new Chrysler Cordova, and you can pick it up at Morty's office. <laughs> I think uh, Vince Vaughn is pretty much make, remaking every Bill Murray movie every time he does performance. I mean, if you look at Dodgeball, that's probably the best Bill Murray movie that Bill Murray didn't make uh, because he has that same kind of persona and everything else. So we've had Bill Murray comedy remakes before. It's just now they're going to be a little bit more overt about yeah. them by actually using the titles. Now, how important – I mean, there's, it's, it's rumored that uh, Bill Murray will come back and he will play – he will take over the role of Morty, the, the uh, nerdy hmm. camp uh, owner, the head counselor or whatever. How important do you think it is when you remake a movie like Meatballs or Ghostbusters, which we'll get to in a while – how important is it to bring back the original, to at least some of the original cast? Oh, I, I certainly think it's important. I'm not sure if if they're going to cast him as Morty in Meatballs. I'm not sure that's the smartest place to put him, though. Because if he's going to play Morty in the same kind of vein, vein that the original Morty was, nobody wants to see Bill Murray play a loser, a schlub. They want to see, see him as the guy who's going to come out on top no matter what, and he's going to have the right smart aleck thing to say to anybody at any particular moment. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if they're going to keep Morty the same character, I don't think it's a smart idea. If they're going to make Morty sort of a – what was his name um, um, in, in the movie? The, the Murray's character is tripper. older. Tripper. Tripper. If they play him as an older tripper who takes over, then you can take the whole camp in another direction. The camp is not going to start start up as being this – conventional type of thing it's going to be an unconventional place and maybe they have to straighten out you sort of just sort of reverse yeah, the dynamics yeah. of what's going on with it so it depends upon if he's going to play morty what kind of morty will he be yeah uh, meatballs isn't even really an 80s movie i think it was 79 and it was a canadian movie well but, all, the, all the movies in those times were were movies that stayed beyond their years because yeah. dvds and, yeah, and weren't, didn't exist vhs right. didn't exist so they just kept coming back to theaters over and over again i mean hell i claim halloween and animal house as 80s movies because for the most part every, everyone in my uh, you know, generation saw those movies for the first time in the eighties on right. DVD. I mean, there's no way my parents were taking me to see Animal House when, uh, you know, I'm eight years old or whatever I was when that came out. But uh, here's an interesting one, and we've had some thoughts on this before on the show. What do you make of a remake of Red Dawn? All that hate's gonna burn you up, kid. Keeps me warm. You know, I know that you have a lot of affection for the movie. Um, I've argued with that on with you about that on several occasions, but you know what? I'm going to go with you on this one and, th and say I think it might be a good idea. A good, ah. Well, you know, but because once again, you're not talking about a remake as much as it needs to be an update. There are different enemies now. It's not the Cold War anymore. It's not the Russians, but certainly we have terrorists, um, and you can make them any nationality that you want, or you can just go for that whole generic terrorism thing and you know let them go with that. And certainly, it, it's it's more of a showcase for young actors playing badass. You know, you take a guy like Shia LaBeouf and stick him in there instead of Patrick Swayze. Oh, you goodness. know, or, or 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 Charlie Sheen or any of those kinds of roles. Uh, you take a guy like you know Justin Long, uh, perhaps from the Die Hard, uh, the most recent Die Hard movie, and the PC commercials and stuff. Somebody's going to have a little bit more humor to it, perhaps too. So you know, I, I don't think it's going to be the kind of gung ho thing that John Milius. Uh, created uh, because he was a very you know sort of marine let's yeah. kill kill them all let God sort yeah. them out type of guy in real life 
and that sort of came through with his movies, with Apocalypse Now and with with uh, with Red Dawn, Big Wednesday, some of those kinds of things. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's, it it depends upon what kind of what kind of direction they want to take yeah. it with. Certainly, it'd have to be an update. Russians aren't going to scare us anymore, right. at least not right now. Well, I mean, I think I'd read somewhere that they one of the original thoughts was to actually redo it as as it was then, like in mid eighties. Russians invading the whole nine. I mean, literally remake it as it was written, not without the update. But I mean, well, then, I'm, that's, then you, that's then early you the, on. To, then you get to the idea, though, where, where the youth audience that you are going to be aiming at with this movie is going to have to study their history a little bit. Yeah. And I don't know if you're going yeah, to be able to get youth, the youth of America I, to I sit down and study with they don't have to. If there was one thing, though, that the youth audience today should be forced to sit down and uh, completely... Uh, Reabsorb themselves in. It would be the um, the Techno Wonderland that was created by two movies that are also on the remake uh, slate: uh, Electric Dreams and Tron. You know, I never saw Electric Dreams, so I can't really comment on that too much. I remember, I remember seeing the poster art for it, and that completely turned me off. It seemed like it was going to be like a computer coming to life, like War Games, but no war. Exactly, that's uh, exactly what it is. Type type thing, but it did have a, a soundtrack by Ruben Blades. Uh, yeah, I believe it was, and, yeah. and um, always liked him musically. I heard, think I heard a couple of songs. From yeah, him. it's, it's saw, a great soundtrack. I mean, movie. it's got the, the title soundtrack by uh, by by Phil Oakey of the Human League does mm-hmm. it with um, Georgia Moroder, and it's it's easily one of my favorite songs. Of the 80s. it's actually my ringtone on my phone. If you mm-hmm. call me, it plays together in Electric Dreams. It was one. It was a, it was an interesting idea. Virginia Madsen is in it. She it's her production company that I believe is has acquired the rights to remake it, and it, it was a really bad. Just like kind of, a really bad visualization of what a computer would be like if it came to life and helped a nerd get a girl. And I think if there's ever a movie that cried out for a remake, now with today's technology. And today's nerds. Yeah, today's nerds. Hey, I want help from a computer <laughs> getting a girl. But, but you uh, know what? Uh, since that time, though, we've had the online dating yeah. situations come on. See, none of that stuff existed uh, then. Exactly. But does that make that kind of story sort of passe. Does it make it just not mean as much anymore because it's going to just going to come up? Uh, Are you going to have a movie with, I hate these movies with computers where it just shows people who just sit there and, and talk to the screen while they're typing so that you can uh, hear yeah. what they're trying to the say. The Doogie Howser complex. Yeah. Uh, or, or you know, computers that just don't work like you know they work in real life. Yeah. Uh, type yeah. stuff. So it depends. The advent of technology may make the uh, really sort of superficial technology of a movie like that just, uh, I think it's an opportunity that to, go, to, to, to actually go and um, I, I made the same point this week when I was reviewing Knight Rider, the new TV series, you know, that's based on the '80s TV series, and they made it more realistic to some degree these days because so much of the technology that the car kit uses now actually exists, you know, mm-hmm. GPS and all that kind of stuff that didn't exist back when Hasselhoff was mucking up the screen. So I'm thinking with Electric Dreams, you can go back in time. Now you can go back. You can really almost make this damn near perfectly technologically sound, but now you put the the onus on the screenwriters to sort of say, "Hey, you can't invent anything anymore. You have to actually be clever with your writing and mm-hmm. and make this work." And you've got a, you've got a, a, a different situation with Tron uh, that you brought up because it came out at the time when video games were just becoming popular and they were very basic stuff, you know, Space Invaders, Pong types of things. So the idea of, you know. Uh, uh, electric motorcycles going in straight lines and taking a 45 degree angle was just the coolest thing in the world at that time. But now, 
mean, with with the you know full 360 3D motion you know types of video games that are out there, you can't get by with that kind of stuff and dazzle people anymore. It may turn into to another speed racer, where it just becomes this kind of sensory overload. Oh, that was awful. It really was. I mean, there it was a gorgeous looking movie, and the technology behind it, you've got to take your hat off to. But there was just so much of it in there, and just splashed up there on the on the screen that you just couldn't really absorb or enjoy any of it along the way too. But but try, uh, Disney did have a little pep rally a couple of days ago out in Los Angeles where they were talking about their their uh, slate of films for the rest of this year and all the way through 2009. And reportedly they showed a few minutes of footage from Tron, um, and people were suitably um, wowed by it. So is it the same sort of idea? I mean, back then. When uh, Tron came out the first time around, it was using cutting-edge technology. Are, is, has Disney gone the same way and said, okay, we're going to do Tron again with today's cutting technology? Yeah, I'm sure that's how they're going to approach it. Like I said, I, I haven't seen the footage. I was, yeah, uh, I was I'd love to see in, it. Uh, but it's on the internet. Variety. They, did, they did say that Jeff Bridges showed up at a, in a small um, really? snippet of the film, of the footage they showed. You know, just five or ten minutes. That's probably all they showed. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Bridges will be in there again, too. Nice. I don't know. That's one of those weird. That's probably what the movie most responsible for getting me into computing in the first place. Hmm. I remember I used to go home with my and sit at my typewriter and and literally would type in what I thought would be computer code. Complete waste of time. My Tron story is uh, I was doing a review of the um, the DVD that came out well um, eight years ago, seven years ago, and I was uh, working on that in the morning at my home office like I usually do. And finished it up and turned around, and that was uh, September 11th, 2001. And I turned around just in time to see the uh, second plane hit the World Trade Center. Bizarre. So that, that's that's my that's my Tron story. Yeah, that's, sadly, that's, your Tron story yeah. is with 9/11. I, I just got finished. You know, I started watching at 6 a.m. Breezed through some of the extras. I you know, knew the movie and stuff, but I just had to do a little DVD review. And as soon as I turned that off and turned the TV on, there it was. Do you um? I mean, I mean, because I mean, obviously, you probably have seen more movies than anybody who has ever listened to this podcast. Nah, but uh, I mean, how? I mean, do you? Are you a DVD collector? I mean, do you get the DVDs? And when you do, do you? I mean, do you scour over the special features like I do? I do um, sometimes. I mean, it depends. I, I usually only do those now that I don't have to write a regular DVD column. Uh, I would do that a few years ago when I did have to sort of check and see what the extras were. But doggone the extras. On these things are so uh, extravagant nowadays, and they spread out so much. You could spend fifteen inches, twenty inches of copy in the newspaper just talking about. Yeah, those never, never even get into a plot synopsis at all, right? Of what the movie is. But uh, yeah, you know, I, 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 if it's if it's something that's a particular favorite of mine right now, I just got a uh, the uh, the new uh, Godfather uh, remastered trilogy. How many and they, versions I of know, Godfather? I know. Do you I'm, 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 I'm going to look through this basically just to see what is on there that wasn't on the last boxed version of the trilogy <laughs> that I got a few years ago too. But but yeah, uh, something like that. I just went through uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. It was one of my favorite little comedies this year. Yeah, I remember you said and, and spent um, spent some time going through the extras on that. It was pretty fun. Now uh, there's a couple big boys coming down the pike <clears throat> that uh, we're saving here to last. Uh, Ghostbusters has just been um, confirmed as a remake and of all the names attached to it Judd Apatow mm-hmm. it's a good idea bad idea I think it's a good idea because what you're going to have is you know Apatow is basically the Ivan Reitman of his generation the guy who's making those kinds of comedies like Reitman made Animal House and Meatballs and those kinds of things that pushed the envelope that stretched comedies boundaries and that sort of thing introduced new stars like Bill Murray to the big screen and so forth Apatow's done the same thing these days with Seth Rogen, 
uh, Paul Rudd, those kinds of guys. So there, there, there really is a, a, a nice parallel in their careers and also a nice little, you know, little, nice little tightness in, in their senses of humor within their time periods, too. And I also think since they say that, you know, they're going to try to get as many of the originals coming back in, you know, sort of mentorish roles or something like that, that'll be a smart move to do that, too. You're going to have to bridge a gap with a movie that that, that is that much of a, of a, of a landmark. You're going to have to do something besides the title. To, to bridge the gap between then and now. It does almost th- think though that Apatow is a little overexposed now. I mean, hasn't he gotten to the point now where 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 uh, you just you're almost getting? T- I almost I'm tired of him almost. Yeah, uh, because uh, in Hollywood, just like to go with remakes, titles, stars. If you get a guy who has a hit or a couple of hits in a row, like he did with Forty Year Old Virgin, uh, Knocked Up. You can take his laundry list and, and probably get some producer who will yeah. kick out two million dollars to try to put it up on the screen. Right. So you know he has. Uh, hey, wouldn't you do the same thing, kind of thing uh, if if you had that kind of, that kind of instant fame and you had some some scripts in the drawer that you've been trying to sell yeah, for years sure. and didn't get? It? So it's it's greed. But um, like Gordon Gecko said, greed is good. Yeah. Um, and, and and greed is what makes Hollywood go and keeps people like Apatow yeah. in, in in business. I just don't think there's anything more to say about. Ghostbusters as a storyline. I mean, it was obvious with Ghostbusters 2 that they were stretching there. It's just kind of like, okay, cute little premise. You know, I, to be honest, I never was a big fan of Ghostbusters. I, and it's a sacrilege to the 80s nation, but I, I guess because I had a really shitty date the night that I went on that, and it's it's forever tainted my, my view of Ghostbusters. But I, I mean, yeah, it's easily one of the most quotable movies of the 80s. Good evening. As a duly designated representative of the city county and state of New York, I order you to cease any and all supernatural activity and return forthwith to your place of origin or to the nearest convenient parallel dimension. That ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray. But if you're going to remake it, it better be one of the most quotable movies of today's generation. Well, not only quotable, but that's one of those movies, too, that uh, can take advantage of the new technology. You know, there's to a certain extent, the cheesiness of the special effects... Uh, at that time, which were necessary because you know they they weren't as developed at that, at that time, they weren't as advanced. But the cheesiness of those special effects is part of its charm. So you can take away the charm by actually making the effects look, you know, more up to date, more uh, splashier, those kinds of I things. Too. So so there there's a there's a tightrope they're going to be walking here yeah. with this kind of thing and with all these movies that we're talking about. Right. Yeah. Now, um, one of the most hollowed franchises of the 80s is also set for a, uh, a fourth sequel. Um, I speak, of course, of Beverly Hills Cop. Well, Eddie Murphy's a whore. You know, you have a very big mouth, sir. I mean, there's nothing else you can say. I mean, here's a guy who, aside from Dreamgirls, and I thought he was terrific in Dreamgirls. He deserved his Oscar nomination. I'm glad to see he lost Alan Arkin, who's one of my favorite actors of all time. But, uh, you know, that was, that was one, you know, spike... In a career lately that's been, that's looked like the Dow Jones chart, uh, when when you think of the stuff like Meet Dave and Pluto Nash, uh, the the Nutty Professor movies, uh, actually the first one was good, but the sequels, uh, you know, the Clumps and that sort of thing, the Doctor Doolittle movies. Yeah, I mean everything he's done has just been Haunted Mansion. Uh, it's just been this this dribble where he's 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 trying to become, you know, the the cool dad in movies of the, of the 21st century. It's the new he's Bill Cosby or something. Or the new Steve Martin or something yeah, like Steve that. Martin. Uh, and and he, he isn't that kind of person. I would rather see him go back on stage and do his stand-up and be raunchy, delirious, raw, those kinds of things. He needs to do something like that. And, and maybe this is 
part of his switch back into that, because I'm sure Beverly Hills 4 is going to be R-rated, it's going to have you know a little bit more of that edge, that 48 hours or, or the first, especially the first Beverly Hills Cop edge. But, you know, he's, I really sort of lost my patience with him because he's hasn't tried to do anything special except for Dreamgirls. Um, and he, he just has he, he really hasn't tried to, to expand or, 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 or he doesn't give me any indication that he cares about who's sitting out there in the seats as long as his check clears. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's tough for me to, to, to get excited about that one. And what the hell is Bronson Pinchot doing these days? Either? So he can go ahead and come back. You know, Balky for, lives. The, uh, now let me ask you this, because very little has been revealed about the plot or the idea of what will happen in Beverly Hills Cop 4. Do you think that they should advance the story the same number of years that it has been since since the last one, or should they just try to go and almost kind of sort of pick up where they left off? Well, you know what? Uh, Murphy doesn't look that much older. He is one of those stars that, that's kept his his youthful looks 20 years later. Um, I mean, I can't imagine Beverly Hills has changed all that and much. And I was just about to say, I mean, California hasn't really changed that much either. You're talking about a place where if a building was built in 1955, it's considered a historical monument or something, too. So um, it probably wouldn't – I don't think it would be a big deal for it to just be updated to 2008 or nine. Uh, I don't think anybody would notice between the first two. I don't think you need to, you know, artificially put some gray hair in in, in Murphy's fro to um, you know, to make it look like he's twenty years older. Yeah. Unless unless they're going to make Axel something different than what he was, which hey. is which is a huge gamble because people are going to want to see, you know, people uh, they, they're going to want to see Murphy doing that swagger. Yeah, I mean, let's they bring him back, thing. and now he's the police chief in Beverly Hills. Bad mistake. That and would then be and they bring mistake. in uh, Chris Rock as as the new Eddie Murphy character. Yeah, I remember. I was I used to be a young canon yeah. like you and everything else. Let me tell you. Yeah. Oh, that, boy, that, God. That, that I, I just I I just got sick to my stomach thinking about that because yeah. realizing how possible that that I think could, I just threw up in my mouth. Yeah, that could yeah. actually happen. I mean, knowing how bad Eddie Murphy is at making decisions, I could see where they would talk him into that. Where he'd say, "No, I want to come back and do it." But I want to be Axel Foley, police chief, and I want to be the straight guy. This I think time. Chris Rock would be too smart to do the uh, the younger guy, but Chris Tucker oh. is just enough of an equal whore to Murphy to probably do it. To do it, unbelievable to. idea. Ah, by the sound of the tone, it must be time for reader mailbag. Hey, Sean Daly is not here. No. Obviously, I wonder if he's getting married. There's a rumor going around there, about that. Yeah, they, they, you know, they uh, with the we're doing the thing together at the Festival of Reading. Yeah. Uh, in October, we're going to share a stage together in the Meet the Critics section. And we were talking the other day. I told him, I said, you know, I'll go out. I'll, I'll spend the hundred bucks to get my notary public license, and I'll marry you right there. Now, I oh, won't marry nice. him, but I will marry he and the forever forever fiance. So we're still on his case yeah. about that a little bit. Yeah, I won't be there that day because uh, the Vegas girlfriend's in town. Ah. And so uh, there's no way we're going to go out and see. Uh, See you guys over at the Reading Festival, but we'll see. Um, usually, Sean Daly handles this. Steve Persall, ever the gracious guest, has decided to read this week's email from Dina in Temecula, California. Yeah, I think that's how you pronounce it. Go for it, Steve. <clears throat> Dear Sean and Steve, I've just listened to your Top Gun, excuse me, Top Gun podcast with Commander Jeff, and I was quite interested. When this movie was made, I was in the Navy stationed at Naval Air Station Miramar in VF-124 Gunfighters, the F-14 Fleet Replacement Squadron. Why do they always make things so complicated in the military? Say, yeah. Anyway, 
all the flying scenes were filmed by my executive officer, Commander Heater Heatley. Parts of the films were filmed in my hangar, and I was in the movie for about one second, background accidentally. And needless to say, when the movie came out, everyone was all excited. Lots of stars came to shake hands with the sailors. My sailors were laughing about how they had almost made Andy Gibb cry because they teased him about being gay. That made me quite, quite mad, and I dressed them down for abusing someone that was nice enough to go out of their way to salute the troops, because we didn't have a lot of fans in the mid-80s. <clears throat> Excuse me. After the movie, VF-124 inherited the F-14 that had been used for scenes. It was still painted with Iceman on the side, but it was inoperable. We had to take parts from other jets just to get this star back in the air. Like Jeff, there were scenes in the movie that made me cringe. One of them, as I was a motorcycle rider, was the scene where Tom Cruise was racing his motorcycle down a non-existent road beside the runway without a helmet. That's a definite no-no on base. Much of the insubordination tolerated in the movie would have, would have resulted in demotion and removal from the service. Funny thing, the commanding officer of VF-124 at the time was later to be relieved over his role in the tailhook scandal. Wow, you know, remember the, with the little sexual scandal, oh, in the yeah, hotel, sure. little you know, tight little, little history there for you. Yeah, well, that's my Top Gun story. I do look fondly back on that aircraft as a wonderful time indeed, and that keeps me stuck in the '80s. Signed, Dina from Temecula, California. Very nice, very nice. As always, send your emails to stuckinedies at timbit.com. Postage unnecessary. <laughs> What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Movie Moment. Hey, it's the segment where I play a piece of a movie from the 80s, and if you can name it, uh, Funyuns or Munchos, your choice. I believe I also have some refrigerator magnets, um, other assorted uh, knickknacks around the office. Assorted or sorted? Uh, on Sean's desk, sorted. Sure, sorted on yeah. Sean's desk. You know, desk. he's gone. We'll just take some CDs. We could. He's got plenty of them YouTube there. box set. That could be up for grabs this week. Pay attention. Here was the clip from last week's show. What were Yale's last words? I'm coming. Was that um, Electric Dreams? Was that from Electric Dreams? No, sir. Oh. Private Benjamin. Oh, okay. Goldie Hawn. Uh, yet another DVD of Sean's that I do not intend to return anytime soon. Ah. How about Wildcats? That's one of my favorite Goldie Hawn movies. Really? Just just for the bathtub scene. You and Sean both. He said the same just thing too. Just for the bathtub scene. Really? Otherwise, totally unwatchable. Yeah. As yeah. a football referee, I, I yeah. have to insist that it be turned off every time it gets to a game scene. <laughs> I had a chance to introduce uh, Goldie Hawn about, uh, well, I guess about two years ago now, Ruth Eckerd. Really? She was coming and doing one of those you know, one-woman things, talking about her career and stuff. And, and uh, my friend Bobby Rossi over there asked me if I'd introduce her. So I went out there and said a lot of nice things about her and... Gave her a little kiss on the cheek as I was walking you off the stage. Not. I certainly did. You suck. I certainly did. Wow. And she gave me a little shout out afterwards saying, I can't believe that was a movie critic saying all those nice things about me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That'd be great. I, I, I've, I rarely, I get to meet a lot of the bands that go through Ruth Eckert Hall, but never many of the celebrities. So mm. that was, uh, I still remember the time I went to see Molly Ringwald in Sweet Charity and you were sitting right in front of me. Right. So. Yeah. Magical night. And I should have, doggone, I thought about it the next day. I had a, uh, I, I keep uh, some, a few autograph things that are framed at home, and I've got a, um, a big photo from the stand that I'd already had signed by uh, Gary Sinise many years ago. 
and he's sharing in the picture. He shares a picture with, with Molly Ringwald. I should have given that over to you so you could get her to sign it for oh, me. Oh, man. That would have been sweet. Yep. Some of the winners from last week include Lizette from Hackensack, New Jersey, Dr. Dim of St. Paul, Minnesota, Rush Cress, John Hayes, and the man known only as Rowan. Is that Atkinson? Oh, you know what? And Martin? Uh, Rowan? He's, very, he's been very... Uh, shifty about explaining it to me huh i've asked him several times and every time he's like uh it's a story i don't feel like telling you hey rowan come clean bud yeah we need to know you can talk to me i'm not usually part of the show i'm like an outsider here you can can talk to me personal never passes stuff along to me so so uh maybe he'll maybe he's your man pay attention here's this week's mystery clip toss the lobster Sucks. Okay, film critic, what was it? The famous uh, comedy "Here's Lead in Your Pencil." Yeah. Is, can that one be assured of a sequel as well? Yeah, I think so. What would it be called? Um, probably uh, "Dipping Your Pen in the Well." <laughs> Jeez, something like that. If you know the answer, email us at stuckinedies at tempe.com and then tune in next week to find out if you are a wiener. Ah, the mystical tone that denotes the beginning of Name That 80s Tune. Hey, it's the weekly segment where we play a piece of a song from the 80s. Again, same drill, get it right, and snack food galore are yours. Now, last week's uh, challenge, as you might remember, is the percussion montage challenge. And uh, we only had one winner. I will play the montage for you one last time. Very tough. That's eight different songs, and here they are. Are you ready? Number one, R.E.M. with It's the End of the World as We Know It. Number two, Fine Young Cannibals with She Drives Me Crazy. Number three, Genesis with Tonight, Tonight, Tonight. The fourth piece, The Cars with Magic. Then comes Jan Hammer's Miami Vice theme. Then Thomas Dolby, one of our submarines. Tears for Fears with Head Over Heels, and the final last tone, what we gave you a secret uh, hint about last week, ABC, The Look of Love. Look of Love! And uh, Kevy Metal was the one sole winner. Everyone, what a great name. Kevy Metal? Kevy Metal. Yeah, we love it. Uh, a lot of people got six of them right. Only Kevy was able to, to denote the Look of Love. The you know, the scene. only one on that list, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of one of our submarines. I was a Thomas Dolby fan, too, and I can't think no, of that. great. Written right. about his uncle who died um, in a submarine accident oh, okay. um, in World War II. Um, probably his second best, second best known song, maybe, or would it be Europa and the Pirate Twins? I'm trying to think. I saw him recently. He, he uh, performed last year, maybe it was the year before now. Time's starting to slip on me. At uh, the State Theater, right, right down the street from us. Right. Did a one-man show. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And I... Any anytime he ever performs anywhere within 500 square miles, you must go see Thomas Dolby perform live. Saw him at Janice Landing probably probably 10 years ago now. Really, eight or 10 years ago, he did a, did, a, did an outside show at Janice. Nice, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, God, unbelievable guy. Science. Yeah, he always has to end with that. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. 
Yes, some of the Euro trash that you've come to expect with Name That 80s Tune. If only Sean were here to uh, insult me and uh, question my taste in music. That's one thing that can make today complete. As always, email us with the answer at stuckinews at tempe.com and you too can be declared a wiener. <laughs> hey, this is Country Peer, Paul in Yorktown, Virginia, land of the rising taxes and the branchless family trees. Whether I'm on Virginia Beach with a flock of seagulls or just putting on the Ritz with Taco, I'm definitely stuck in the 80s. No matter what you think you hold, you'll find it's not enough. Thank you very much, Country P. Hey, as always, we can always use your fan greetings. Just go to our blog at blogs.tampa.com slash 80s, and there's a little toll-free number there. Call that. Leave us a message. While you're there, go visit Steve Persall's blog, Reeling in the Years, blogs.tampabay.com slash movies. That's it. Blogs.tampabay.com slash movies, Reeling in the Years. And the best part of it is uh, whenever you go see a movie, you pretty much blog about it right afterwards, so we get like that little quickie advance. Yeah, I try to get them in there as soon as I can, and that gets me in trouble sometimes. Disney still is pissed off at me uh, for the Ratatouille thing last year. Really? Yeah, they still won't talk to me. Yeah, you know, I only saw Ratatouille for the first time like last week. Yeah, pretty movie. I liked it. It was a good little movie. I mean, it's not I avoided bad. it forever. I don't know why. I didn't, uh, I didn't say it was a bad movie. I just said that at the uh, screening that I went to in advance that I saw more kids than I'd ever seen in an animated <sighs> movie that were walking out to go to the bathroom and stuff, taking those little, they were bored with it. So I put that in there. Disney didn't like it. They said I was violating their policy of publishing reviews before the release date, and they pretty much um, shut me out. Of course, the same day that I put that on the blog, the New York Times and Time Magazine had very complimentary stories about Ratatouille. So, of course, they weren't violating the policy. Oh, so geez. there you go. Disney, what, 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 I mean, they're villainous. They are. They really are. I mean, it's, it's, it's sad to see a, a company that was built on Really, I mean, Walt Disney had his problems. I mean, he, he certainly had his uh, personal issues along the way and, and nasty with people sometimes. But he always put entertainment first, family first, value first, those kinds of things. And, and the whole Disney empire has just turned into such horrors. Yeah. Um, in, in the, well, it's the black the past, rat. Past, it's the black rat. Exactly. Now. You know, and, and they would just want to control everything they possibly can. Yeah. Bad move, guys. Yeah. Bad move. Yeah. Don't piss me off. Yeah. Never, ever anger the critics. Before we go, I want to talk about some of the 80s movies that we think should be made into sequels, but that are not currently uh, slated for production. Um, Real Genius with uh, Val Kilmer was at one time, I believe, on a short list to get remade and has since kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. Yeah, you know, I, I don't... I only saw the movie once, about the time it came out, mid late 80s, whatever it was. Yeah, mid 80s. Um, and I, I can't recall any of that, aside from Val Kimmer's performance, because he was very charismatic in that thing. And that was at a time when we really thought he was going to be one of the next big things. But but I don't really recall anything about the story or the setup or anything else that makes it that much different from every other, you know, rebellious teen comedy that, we, that we've had. Yeah. You know, where where, they're, where the, uh, the, the student is smarter than the teacher's. Yeah, it's sort of, of that thing. Revenge of the Nerds kind yeah, of Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it just didn't, uh, it doesn't have anything that makes me think that it would, I, and I don't think the title would mean that much to that many people either. Yeah, there's a lot of people, like the hardcore stuck in these guys all know Real Genius. I mean, it's, it's definitely probably, I mean, I don't think I'm exaggerating by saying probably one of the 10 most loved movies of the 80s among, among the hardcore fans, you know, up there with Better Off Dead and all that kind of, all the little niche 
you know, you know. See, I always preferred Top Secret. Really? If, I didn't if, really if, like if Top Secret. If you were talking about a Val Kilmer movie from around that era, you know, that uh, that's just sort of like I thought – would be one that might, yeah. I mean, if not, if not a remake, at least would have that kind of posterity among the. Yeah, I don't I know. Never, I, I never heard I, you guys bring that up. I, did, I don't like Top Secret. I never have. I, I saw it the first time. And I just thought it was kind of stupid, and I, I don't think I've changed my mind over the years. I, but Real Genius, on the other hand, there's something about it. And, and the rumor was that that Kilmer was going to come back, and and play some comic role in the movie, and maybe even be the star. And the, and the thinking was that he was trying to jumpstart. Or, or restart his comic career, which kind of got off track there for a while. I mean, he did Jim Morrison in The Doors, and then he never made another funny movie. I mean, he did Batman. Unintentionally funny. Oh, an awful... Yeah. You know, it's great to hear he's now the voice of Kit in the new Knight Rider series. And he's... I think I made some comment when I reviewed it saying that he sounds more human as the computerized car than he did as Bat- in, in any of his last 10 movies. But um, to me, watching Knight Rider, just, I watch it just to listen to Val Kilmer's voice. Hmm. But uh, so that's one movie that's uh, sort of maybe on, on our wish list. You know list. what? Uh, call that one and one A would be Weird Science because I always got those two movies confused in in some in some regards. Of course, was, that was one with Kelly LeBrock, right? Yeah, we just yeah. did a really bad podcast about that. Movie. Uh, okay, well, I'm glad I skipped that one. <laughs> but um, you know those those two movies just sort of go hand in hand with with that era and their premises and, and yeah, those kinds of things yeah. too. So. That's true. I didn't think about that. Um, another one, Sixteen Candles, is always a popular um, uh, pick when people talk about what movies they want to see remade because everybody wants to know, you know, twenty years later or however long it's been now, maybe maybe even longer. Twenty years later, are uh, are Sam and uh, Jake Ryan still together? Mm-hmm. So, well, you, uh, you spoke to uh, Molly Ringwald, and uh, she said that there were. Some some discussions about this, and yeah. she would certainly be amenable to to doing something like with it too. So. Yeah, she she said she would love to do it again, but only if John Hughes was involved. That's going to be the key with that, because I don't think you can do have anybody get out there and just try to imitate such a singular voice as Hughes was in that particular era in those movies. Yeah, so and know. he's not he's seemingly not coming back anytime soon. Um, on that same regard, I asked Molly Ringwald about the next movie on our list, Breakfast Club. And the thinking being, um, were all these people still friends the Monday morning after detention? Or are they all still friends now 20-some years later? It would have to be that because these, these guys are not going to be able to um, no. pass for high school students no. anymore. No. Barely and, did then. Yeah. Um, she, was, she was big. Now, I think, I think one thing she, that uh, Molly suggested was she'd love to see it done as a play, um, the movie Breakfast Club, and then add an, and then add an ending to it that, that answers the question about – what happens the next day because she thought it more than any other movie that she had done with Hughes that breakfast club felt like it could be done on a stage mm-hmm. almost I, in a single I, room. I'd agree with a that. Single room. Sure. So she was a proponent of let's, let's turn this into a stage production. We don't, we wouldn't need the original people then, you know, get good stage actors and let's just re, let's retell the story and let's tack on a, uh, an ending that people can uh, comprehend. Um, and now I give you the, uh, the pinnacle of uh, remake opportunities, Ferris Bueller. And I say opportunities because, uh, as people at the blog know, there is actually a screenplay out there for a sequel, and I've read it. And I can say with total confidence and no shame that it is the only screenplay I have ever read, but I loved it. Mm-hmm. And um, it was written um, 
for John Hughes to do. Um, it brings back every one of the main characters, and uh, it is set some twenty years in the future. And it's called Ferris. Another day off, I think. Is what so, it's what called. does uh, what what's Ferris? Uh, where is Ferris doing twenty years? Twenty. In the he's a uh, sort of a self help Tony Robbins kind of character, hmm. kind of playing off his, uh, uh, you know, his attitude about having to, you know, sometimes you just need to take a day off, and and uh, it's it's really good. He skips out. The whole premise is that he's this big self help guy, and he decides to take another day off. I mean, he decides it's too much for him, and he wants to. Uh, get away from it all for a day so he he literally skips out on all these responsibilities he has yeah he, sounds sounds like he might end up uh, living that kind of cynical life that he was making fun of in the first yeah, one and exactly yeah he is and it. so yeah. he skips out of it and goes and tracks down um sloan his uh high school girlfriend and um and that's that's the premise of it i mean it goes i, mean, I don't want to give too much weight because i'm still kind of hoping still kind of hoping that uh somehow somebody gives this one the green light because it's you're it's, just hoping for a, a bit part. Yeah. I'm, who, who, okay, who do you want to play in the sequel? Oh, man. I mean, if, if Rooney's character was still around, if there was still a high school, there is the high school principal. She's there. It's not Rooney anymore. It's now played by uh, the person who was his secretary. God, who was a righteous dude? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know who I'd play. I'd, God, that's, that's a good question. I wasn't prepared for that. I just want to be on set. I'll settle for being on set. I would love to hang with Alan Ruck and Matthew Broderick and Jeffrey Jones. Uh, I just saw uh, – well, you can hang with uh, Jeffrey Jones. I just don't want to share his trailer, but I would, yeah. I'd, I'll hang out with him all he wants. Um, I just saw Alan Ruck in um, Ghost Town the other day, that, that really mediocre ghost movie with Greg Kinnear and uh, oh, Richard yeah. Gervais. Is he any good? Um, he, he was okay. He wasn't in it that much, but um, – you know, every, anytime you see him, I also saw him do the producers over at um, Tampa Bay Performing Arts Center a couple of years ago too, when he came to town here. Which character did he play? He, he, plays, play, he played um, um, Matthew Broderick's Matthew part. Matthew Broderick's part, Leo Bloom. And Leo Bloom, yeah. that's excellent, excellent. Well, we cross our fingers for uh, for for uh, Ferris Bueller and for Sixteen Candles, Real Genius Breakfast Club. We will, uh, I guess, just have to take our uh, chances on these other movies. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, put it this way: you're going to get rehashes, retreads, remakes, no matter what. You're going to get TV shows that are going to be made into full length movies. That's this is one of, the, one of the things with that Disney pep rally the other day. Dick Cook, the chairman of Disney, was talking about the fact that this was he called it quote the most creative lineup of films that the studios ever had end quote. And in that list, he's got a sequel to Tron. He has the third high school musical, which is actually the first one in screens, but it's based on two TV movies. Uh, you've got the Hannah Montana movie based on a TV show. You have another version of uh, um, Alice in Wonderland, another version of A Christmas Carol. <laughs> Just everything, about everything yeah. he, he mentioned was a remake. That's uh, original or, or a rehash. Disney? And that's what's passing for original at Disney these oh, days. God. Creative, creative. That's the word he used. That's what's passing for originality in Hollywood these days. And that's why we're stuck with all these ridiculous uh, remakes coming down the pike. But until they're made, until we can uh, poo-poo them on the air, until we can ravage them in print, Steve Persall, my guest, and I remain hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is produced by the St. Petersburg Times and TampaBay.com. Read the blog at blogs.tampabay.com and remember to subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. <laughs>